I am your host, Ksenia, and I am here to create a conversation where we bring together personal and spiritual growth and business and social media because I truly believe that success is a spiritual energy in motion and that social media with its endless possibilities is a tool for manifesting what's most important and dear to you. And this week's guest is Lopa Vandermersch. She was supposed to come on later on. This episode was supposed to be released later in May, but the topics we talked about and the conversation is just so potent and so perfectly timed that I decided that it's time to release it now. Lopa is the founder and CEO of Rasa, a brand that you may know from Breakfast Criminals because I post about it quite a bit. It's an adaptogenic blend that is a coffee alternative. And what it does is makes adaptogens accessible through holistically balanced tonic coffee alternatives while bringing much needed humor and realness to wellness. Lopa grew a startup from lunch to break even in eight months while parenting two tiny humans, three and one. And she credits being able to do it all to a steady diet of adaptogens, integrity, and playfulness. Lopa's past is a wild ride that includes dropping out of college to caretake a wildlife refuge in Costa Rica, a short stint as a British dancing lady, cremating dead bodies, yep, being a biochar queen who worked with Richard Branson's Carbon War Room and spoke at TEDx. She joined two cults, which offered real spiritual value and real trauma at the same time, traveled the world, and finally started Rasa. We cover all of that in the episode. Her journey is truly unique and inspiring, and Lopa's love for business and adaptogens is only matched by her passion for tea ceremony, which you may have seen on her personal Instagram account. In the episode, she shares how Rasa grew from an idea to an uber-successful, fast-growing business, and what role social media played in its success and still plays every single day. Lopa actually was one of the people who took my original conscious social media offering, and I am so grateful for that because it's truly my life's purpose to empower you to see that Yes, there is a way to approach social media consciously. And yes, it can be a tool for creating a bigger community, creating more success, creating bigger impact all at the same time. And Lopa is such a representation of this new paradigm of aligning your spiritual values with your business and operating from integrity on every single level and only saying yes when something is 100%. To me, that is true leadership and leading by example through that and surrounding yourself with people who are going to keep you accountable. Lopa shares all of that. And we also dive into how she combines strategic business mindset with complete divine surrender and how plans really chose her. By plans, I mean the adaptogens in her blend She also shares how she went from being on a meditation cushion and dedicated to spiritual practice for many years to becoming a businesswoman. One of my favorite ideas from this episode is that your personal energy lives a footprint on anything that you do in the world, whether that's online products or coaching or tangible product. There's something to be said about it because it's subtle. But those who are tuned in feel it. And that's one of the reasons why Lopa believes her business is so successful because she took the time to develop herself, to find her core values and connect to her spirit on a deep level. And now all of that is rooting her business and and how she operates on a daily basis. If this episode resonates with you, send it to a friend, share it with someone who might be moved by it as well and leave a rating and a review on your podcast's app on iTunes. Leaving a review truly does make a difference. And as I'm growing this baby, this podcast, for me, it truly is an honor and a pleasure to be this channel. And so far, it's not monetized. So we are just building the momentum. We are spreading the word. So you leaving a review and sharing it with a friend or two truly makes a difference. 
Enjoy this episode and share your takeaways with me. Tag me on Instagram, take a screenshot, and tag Lopa as well. She's at Lopa Loves You. Thank you for tuning in. Okay, so I have Lopa here, founder of Rasa. I discovered Rasa probably a little over a year ago when I was doing my first caffeine-free experiment after having a shamanic cleanse. And the shaman told me that for three weeks, I couldn't have any caffeine at all. And at first I was freaked out, but I was committed to my healing. So I started obsessively looking for alternatives and asking people on Instagram what they recommend. And 90% of things that were recommended or that I found in stores sucked. They tasted so bad that I had to go and return them. And then someone recommended Rasa and it tasted amazing. And I loved the ritual invitation that comes with it. And from there on, Lopa, you and I, we just got on the phone at some point and became Instagram friends. And since then, you have just been a big part of my life, whether you know it or not, because we have one form or another of Rasa pretty much every day. We had this morning, we had the dirty Rasa. And I'm so stoked to have you on to talk about the evolution of how all of that started for you and how the business has just grown so much since I've discovered it. Yeah. Thanks so much for for having me, Ksenia. It's really great to be here. And uh, I also am drinking Dirty Rasa right now. So cheers. What are you drinking it with? I am trying out all the different creamers because I'm going to Expo this weekend and want to just, you know, be able to share it with the right creamer. So I've got milkadamia unsweetened vanilla right now. And you blended it? You know, I just put it straight in. I was moving a little quick, so I didn't do my, my fancy elixir thing this morning. Okay. milkadamia is good. I like that creamer, but I'm curious to see what you discovered at Expo West. Yes, me too. Can't wait. Besides We Are Rasa, if you guys want to check out Lopa's product line on Instagram, it's We Are Rasa, R-A-S-A. You have a personal Instagram account, Lopa Loves You. And your Instagram bio says, Tea Obsessed, mama of two little blonde kids that are shown in emojis, Boulder, Colorado, founder of We Are Rasa, hashtag Adaptogen Blends. This is my personal account and it's 99% tea. Okay, so can you tell me what it is that you actually do? With tea or in general? With everything. What's the 1% outside of the tea? And then tell me everything about why 99% is tea. Gotcha. Yes. So, well, really, it's my Instagram account is 99% tea. Not my life, although I practice Chadao. So I practice tea as a way, tea as a spiritual practice. And if I was truly embodying Chadao, then 100% of my life would be tea, whether or not I was actually drinking or engaging in tea at all, because it would all be flowing towards this one aim, um, which is a, a plant medicine meditation with tea <clears throat> as the guide. But my life is very full. Um, I have two tiny humans. One just turned one and uh, the other's three and a half. And I have a startup, which is growing super fast. And Ksenia, you found us te- like really before we even had fully launched, like with our new packaging and you know updated branding and actually started marketing and stuff like that. So it's really kind of amazing that you found us before that point. And yeah, it's been, it's been a really wild ride. My life is very focused right now. I'm aware that it's a season in my life. You know, like I have, I have two tiny humans and a startup. That's a, that's a pretty unique <laughs> like um, three startups. dynamic. It's like three startups. It's basically like three startups or three, three small children or something, you know, you could look at it either way. So it's, it's very full. And I am just aware, you know, I've done a lot of spiritual practice and meditation practice and retreats and, you know, spent tons of time with my butt in a cushion. And this is just not that time of life for me right now. And for me, it's, you know, I'm very, I feel extremely grateful when I am able to sit down and do a tea ceremony and get my practice in that way. But life is pretty focused on kids and business. And there's not a lot that happens outside of that, um, except for tea when it does. And when it does, I Instagram it because <laughs> it's, tea is one of the most beautiful things to me. 
social life included is pretty, pretty limited. And it's sort of cool. Can you come to my house between the hours of five and seven? And then I'm going to put the kids to bed. And if you want, you can hang out for an hour and just chill in my house. If you don't mind cleaning up, you're totally welcome to. And then we can hang out for like a couple hours afterwards. And then I'm going to probably work a little bit and go to sleep. So yeah, it's very full. And it's, and it is, I'm, I'm just aware that it's a season. Like there are seasons in life and this one happens to be bursting at the seams for me and it won't go forever. And if I can keep that in mind, then it gives me more stamina and energy sustainability and the adaptogens, of course, help a lot with that as well. Right. Helps you be less of a jerk. That's a direct quote from We at Rasa Instagram bio. I'm not making it up. <laughs> yep. We haven't trademarked that yet, but That's you know. Good. I like that <laughs> approach to it as a season in life because I grow through phases where I'm so focused on business that my spiritual practice goes into somewhere backstage. And usually I realize that when I lose connection of why I do what I do and lose that connection with my purpose and with something way bigger than me, and I just find myself being like, wait, what am I doing and why am I doing it? And I kind of have to hit a reset button and get back to all my practices in a deeper way. And I like the idea of instead of seeing it as something that I did wrong, just, oh, this is just a season of my life and we all move through them. So thank you for that perspective. Yeah, yeah. It's been a valuable one for me because for me, my spiritual practice was the central focus of my life for for many years. And during that time, I also was, you know, building a career and, you know, doing things in the world. And I would notice that I would judge myself subtly or very overtly sometimes when I would get more focused on that and be like, oh, I have to, you know, I'm forgetting or whatever. And now I feel like I'm holding a bit of a bigger frame and really just having faith in that wellspring that is within me that always seeks the divine, you know, at, at its right time. And that divine is always with me, whether I'm in business or whether I'm not, you know, there's there really to, to not see the separation between them. And I think that's, there, there's understandable reasons why we think that there's separation between spirit and, and the material. And I think it's also a bit of a red herring and something that I really feel like you, Ksenia, the queen of conscious social media, you're I think, doing a really good job of that to see and bring the divine into this medium that we can can also be used in in ways that divorce us from that. But even when we're divorced, even when we're separated, um, it's still there. And it's always there with open arms for us to come back to. So for me, really trusting that and having that faith that it's always there and I'm always with it. And it's just a matter of Taking that breath and and remembering, my tea teacher says, remember to remember, mm-hmm. give yourself a chance to remember to remember. That gives me more ease in the times where I feel distant from it. Mm. So tea as a spiritual way, how did you get into that, and what exactly does that mean for you? I there's a long version and a short version. Which one do you would you like? <laughs> well, let's start with the long one and see where it goes. Cool, great. So I talked about, you know, spirituality being a central focus of my life for a long time. I studied in, before tea, I studied in two tantric traditions. When I say tantric, I don't mean neo-tantra, which is the, you know, with a really heavy emphasis on sex. This is a, you know, sex is like a piece of the puzzle, but it's a very big puzzle with many pieces. So, you know, it was a lot of meditation, yoga, kundalini, mantra, kriya, puja, Ayurveda, many different aspects of of Indian culture and then particularly with the a tantric lens. So that's, you know, at its fundamentals, it's it's non-dual. So it sees no, it's there is no separation between the divine and the material, for example, um, between the human and divine. And before you could go further, how did you get into all of that? That is one of those kind of time-tested questions. There's a long story that goes into that as well. <laughs> it involves some mushrooms. Definitely want to hear about the mushrooms. <laughs> okay, sure. Let's just go right there. When I first heard the word enlightenment, I was like, yes, that's what I want. I know that that is my path, my destiny. And I was maybe 19. I was doing Ashtanga yoga with a, a very popular teacher. And I really wanted to have some kind of relationship with him that was 
like that he wasn't available for. Like I wanted him to like call me on my shit. I wanted him to, you know, like know me really intimately as a person and, you know, like help me to grow and that sort of thing. But he, he was, you know, really phenomenal yoga teacher and not looking for that kind of, well, ultimately what I was looking for is like a guru disciple relationship. And after doing an intensive training with him, I decided that I was going to go eat mushrooms and get enlightened in the mountains. I wasn't going to leave. I was going to take a ton of mushrooms and I was just going to like dive into the central channel and get enlightened that night. That was just going to do it all in. Um, it was and by mushrooms, you mean psilocybin, right? I mean psilocybin, yes. So <laughs> it was like the Buddha, but psychedelic. <laughs> that, that kind of commitment. Lo and behold, I very quickly thought I was dying. I was 100% sure I was dying. Um, and Do you know how much you took? It was about a quarter. Oh, that's nothing. A quarter of an ounce. Well, yeah. So that's like five yeah. grams? I guess so. Yeah, it's been... A- Which is the hero dose. Oh, is that the hero dose? Okay. Yep. Yeah, they were, they were also very, very potent. So I found out later. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, no, watch out with those. I was like, yeah, dude, I sent myself to the hospital. Thanks. So I did think that I was dying. I was up in the mountains, couldn't drive, called on the emergency phone. It was a pretty, I imagine on the, on the dispatcher side, that was a pretty funny conversation. Cause she was like, so are you vomiting? Like, can you breathe? And I was like, she's like, what are your symptoms? And I was like, every time I exhale, I am melting into the ground. <laughs> um, and so that led me to an expensive night in the hospital. And I ended up being, of course, totally fine. It was more of a ego death experience, but it felt very physical. I have also had experimented with other entheogens and uh, and had them in sacred contexts and ceremonies and all of that. And have found that that's a pretty common experience for me and that it may just not be a necessary medicine for me at that time. Like I'm the one who's always dying in those things. So it's like, okay, you know, like you do that a couple of times and like you learn things. And then after like number eight, you're like, that might be enough. <laughs> but so I had a hospital bill to pay off. I decided because I was just curious what it would be like to strip and um, as for to make some money to pay that off. So I started stripping. What? And where were you (laughs) at the time? I was living in Boulder. Although it was in this process that I also trans transitioned to California. So I went to Burning Man. After that went to San Francisco, I had fallen in love with it the year before. And while I was there through a series of things. Well, here's here's some, what happened was I had an astrology reading with someone who said that on September 22nd of that year, I was going to meet a teacher. And if I didn't go with that teacher, that I was going to, there was going to be just tremendous trouble in my life. I've never since gotten such a specific instruction. And, you know, I was like, I have no idea what this is going to be, what it means, whatever, but we'll see. And of course, as September 22nd is nearing closer, I'm getting more and more like interested and excited and anxious and like what does it mean and where am I going to find them and and for some reason I I had meant to be in San Francisco for like three days but I ended up staying for several weeks because I couldn't I couldn't figure out why I just could kept on not being able to leave and September twenty second rolls around and I'm just like you know that there's a, a children's book Are You My Mother and the kids like the little bird is going around and asking all these different creatures and and a giant crane if it's a, you know are you my mother i felt like that like i was like except for are you my teacher i was going around like are you my teacher are you my teacher like homeless people on the street like well maybe it's just somebody who has a a real intense message for me and and you know it's just gonna be a one-time thing but i need to listen to that message and i ended up connecting with a friend of mine who i knew had moved there specifically to be with a spiritual teacher and I was like, all right, I'm just going to call him up. I don't really want to talk to this guy for a number of reasons, but I'm going to call him up. It's September 22nd. This might be my teacher. He was like, well, it's very auspicious timing. This is the beginning of the 10-day celebration for the mother goddess tomorrow. How about you come to this ritual? So I, I went to this ritual the next morning. It was like so much of it was in Sanskrit. It was this completely like seemingly foreign environment. And when I went in there, I was like, I know this. Like, I, like they were speaking Sanskrit and I was like, I, I know these sounds. I know this context somehow. So I'm, I, I don't have like real kind of, what would you call it? Like visual experiences of past life, mm-hmm. like some people do. That's just hasn't been my experience. But this was one of those times where I was like, the only way that I can explain how familiar this is to me is that there's a past life connection here. So I studied with that teacher. Uh, it was the central focus of my life for seven years. And while you were a stripper? Oh, no. 
Yeah, right. The stripper thing. (laughs) (laughs) Side note. (laughs) So that's a little bit of a funny thing. I was actually a British stripper while I was in San Francisco. I I thought I was like, I'm only going to be here for a few days. Let's see if I could make more money if I have a British accent. And uh, I ended up moving there um, to be with this teacher who I met on September 23rd. But so I ended up being a British stripper for a lot longer than I intended. I only kept with that for a couple of months. Do you still have that accent in you? Oh, definitely. I can I can totally fake people up. It's really, yeah, I've, uh, my best friend is British. That helps, definitely. But I've always been a bit good at accents. And quite a few, you know, in, in San Francisco, it's pretty international. And so people come in all the time. It's actually one version of my British accent. I can do a couple others. I don't know why this one came out. <laughs> um, but uh, I did fake... <laughs> the things that don't come out on your on your business or tea obsessed instagram yeah. yes <laughs> that one percent i'm glad i asked yeah exactly it's a pretty big one percent i guess so yeah i would fake british people out all the time and then i did have one one guy my dad actually lived in london for a little while when he was younger and so i had like context for like he lived on knightsbridge he lived on this street and so i had this kind of whole story this one guy was like where are you from? And I was like, I'm from Knightsbridge. And he was like, you're not from Knightsbridge. <laughs> I was like, shit. It's like, well, uh, I've been hanging out with a lot of Aussies lately and it's really fucking up my accent. <laughs> so yeah, I did that for, I was a British stripper for a couple of months and then I left that and started working in biochar at that point. Biochar is a it's a modern technology based on ancient practices of putting charcoal in the soil, um, which was done in ancient Amazonian tribes. And it's fantastic for soil quality, but it also has gotten a lot of attention, especially when I was working with it for being a potential climate change mitigator because it's, it sequesters carbon very long term in the ground. So you can t- take waste, biomass, things that would have their carbon decompose very quickly um, or you know over usually under a year the carbon returns back to the soil and you can secure up a good portion of the carbon in the soil with, with biochar so I started a career there in that field and was working in that for a while while doing the spiritual stuff and this was also at that time where sometimes I was kind of shifting more to career focus and then judging myself and feeling like I was you know kind of turning my back on the divine and and so that that integration and openness and faith hadn't happened yet. And what were you doing in terms of what kind of position did you hold at that company? I started out I started out helping them write grants and it was pretty part-time. I was also working at a crematory at the time and <laughs> it's a pretty interesting like it's interesting to me too. I'm like, wow, I did all these things. This is fascinating. It's fascinating. How do you do this? Yeah. Write a biography, autobiography one day. Oh, yeah, maybe I will do that someday. Kind of fun. Yeah. And it was there, you know, it was a friend of mine and he just kind of, he saw some spark and was like, you can, you can do this. And he kind of threw me to, you know, the, the startup wolves. It was a total startup. And I just started swimming. I was like, oh, this is another language that I know business and getting things done. And, you know, I was like Googling my way to like, how do you raise money? And like, what's an executive summary? And how do you write a business plan and you know all of these different things but it it was another very familiar role for me there was there was something innate about business that i just loved and this like here was business is the tool of manifestation of our time in in a very real way like that's like you take an idea and you turn it into something that happens in the world and then capitalism rewards you for it like that's that's the system it was just it was wonderful for me so i, I started off at you know the very base level of it. And then, um, you know, I had a lot of amazing experiences through there uh, because it was such a young industry and it was getting so much attention for its potential to mitigate climate change. I, um, there was just a lot of excitement and I was able to get very high up in the industry very quickly. So I got to go to the UN and I got to lobby at the UN. I got to speak at TEDx. I got to work for Richard Branson's Carbon War Room which was kind of his climate change think tank and run their biochar operation. Wait, what? So did you meet Richard Branson with that? I did, super briefly, but I did. Wow. I'm so glad we're talking about that 1%. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> He's one of the biggest inspirations of mine, and I have his books everywhere, and it's always his mindset and his approach of playfulness 
is really my biggest inspiration in how I do business. Yes. Playfulness. I love it. Yes. I really, I, it was awesome to be in this very, it was a very serious context, you know, like we're trying to save the world, of course, and all of that. Um, And, and yet it was totally his baby. And so it was interesting to be in the context of like, all that I know about all of the brands that he's created and just the boldness and it still had that boldness and everything, but also that playful context kind of underneath the seriousness of like really needing to get, to get some important shit done. So uh, yeah, I met him at, a, at some gala thing that, that we threw for, for the carbon worm. So yeah, I ended that position. I, I became a, a new co-founder and, and a new iteration of the business, the startup that I worked for. I ended up being executive vice president, which honestly was a bit of an inflated title. But on the other hand, I was I was the right hand person on the business side of, of the entire business. So it was and I had done I like lived, breathed, ate, slept, bled biochar for for some four plus years. Um, that was like, I don't there was no like the idea of work life balance. I was just like, I woke up, I biochard and then I biochard and then I biochard some more. <laughs> and uh, people called me the biochar queen. and. It was, I joked that I was midwifing the industry and, and in a way I definitely was. How old were you at that point? I started, I guess it, that was like 26 to 30. And did you skip going to school? I dropped out of school in my second year, actually more of the 1% to uh, <laughs> caretake a wildlife refuge in Costa Rica. And what kind of animals did you look after, if any? I didn't look after any uh, more. I was trying to protect myself because it's like such a wild place. And we were in the middle of the jungle. Like it was a two hour boat ride to the nearest 100 person town, like tiny, tiny town. And like you had to like take a tiny boat into the ocean, like to get there. The one time I actually made a phone call, we had to walk. It was a five hour round trip. And we had to ford a river, like with our backpacks over our head. And that river was known to have crocodiles. So it was like super intense. So you really didn't want to be around people, did you? I really enjoyed the isolation and the nature. I was there with my boyfriend at the time. And it was a definitely a life-changing experience. And one of those like kind of top five, like, you know, just like I lived in a hut in the jungle. Like I was woken up by howler monkeys every morning. There were deadly things everywhere. Like that was one of the things like you go to this really biologically intense place like that. And there are so many things that can kill you. (laughs) Um, And you get more aware and you get more humble and just sort of like, wow, I'm just a creature in this context of nature. And, you know, I happen to be at the top of the food chain, but here it's, it's a little bit like, you know, it's not quite the same, you know, like you're like up against the, your mortality a lot more. Sounds like you learned some things in the jungle that you can't learn in school. Yes, yes, I definitely did. I intended to go back to school, but it just didn't end up happening. And I kind of, I feel like my education largely happened in biochar and just kind of teaching myself. So yeah, I did go to school for a couple of years and I remain a college dropout. Was that ever an issue? The ways that it is an issue. I mean, it was an issue for my parents, of course. I think that they're over it now that they're like, okay, she, she can she can hold her own. But where the one place that I see for myself and my own self-development and what higher level education brings is like more than what you learn, it's how you learn and how you like a certain development of critical thinking capacities that is harder to get in the real world. And especially today's real world, I think. Like I think 10 years ago, maybe I survived a little bit better because we just weren't there. I guess it was like 15 years ago, geez. because you know the world wasn't so fast. There wasn't so many distractions. I mean, it was still very fast, but you know, social media wasn't a thing yet. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a great article some years ago, I think in the Atlantic maybe called is Google making us stupid. And I, you can totally sub in social media in there as well, but it talks about how like there's literally brain changes due to the fact that we don't sit there and think about something and consider the options. We just kind of Google it and figure it out. Um, And I I do feel like there's a lot of brain changes um, based on social media and how kind of fragmented and distracted our attention span gets. And so, yeah, I think, I think that higher education is a little bit of an antidote to that because it sort of forces you to really go into a tract, you know, think about it more and take take a certain thought or ideology or philosophy 
to its conclusion as opposed to like, cool, I thought about that for five seconds. I I feel a little bit better about myself now that I considered cultural appropriation or whatever it is. And I'm going to move on because there's a new notification and I'm going to follow that. Right. So I do sometimes really notice and feel like when I, especially when I talk to friends of mine who have pursued, you know, more higher education and my husband, you know, is very well educated. And I, and I feel like, oh, th- this is this is a part of myself and my brain that I would like to develop more at some point. And running a startup may be doing that for me on many levels. But there's also like just there is some I mean, there's some beauty to a refined human mind and its ability to hold and consider many, many different aspects of reality and, and to have strong opinions about things based on, you know, having picked up all the stones and looked underneath them and really considered that. So uh, yeah, it was and it wasn't a problem. Right. How amazing is Lopa? I am so grateful to have this conversation on the podcast. And I recorded right after having a cup of rasa. This morning I made dirty rasa. So it's their adaptogenic organic blend that comes with fair trade coffee. I brewed it in my French press and then blended with some MCT oil with some white oil proteins, collagen creamer. And sometimes I also add some extra cinnamon and a cayenne for a kick. And it ends up being so frothy, so delicious. And it keeps me sustained for hours. As I shared on the podcast, I discovered Rasa after trying a ton of coffee alternatives and none of them tasted good. The texture wasn't great. And with Rasa, I just know that it's 100% sustainable. It's thoughtfully sourced. The cacao bins in the cacao blend are fair trade. The coffee is also fair trade. If you don't know where to begin, you can start by ordering a sample pack of the three blends that Rasa offers, or just get the original one that's just herbal, totally caffeine-free. If you want a more calm, energizing effect, then definitely go with the original Rasa. And it really combines the best of Chinese herbalism, of Western herbalism, and Ayurvedic traditions. There's no additives, there's no fillers, there's nothing that you can't pronounce, except for if you can't pronounce things like ashwagandha. Some of my favorite ingredients in the blend are ashwagandha, that's amazing for managing stress level. I always add that to my morning beverages. Chaga, I'm a huge fan of mushrooms. If you're not yet a fan of mushrooms, definitely listen to a previous episode that I did with Jason Scott, who's a mycologist who explains all about the healing power of mushrooms. So it's a pretty impressive list of ingredients that is clean. Everything is sustainable, organic, and comes in compostable packaging. So it's a full-on win-win and everyone who has discovered the blend through me on Instagram always ends up tagging me and saying thank you and subscribing. So go to wearerasa.com and use code WokenWire to get 20% off your order or just head over to WokenWire.com, find the episode, go to the show notes and it's linked right there. Get ready to upgrade your morning ritual and tag me on Instagram. I would love to see what kind of recipes you whip up with your rasa. Now back to the incredible conversation with Lopa. How did you go from the biochar queen? (laughs) So it involved a couple of cults, actually. So the first spiritual teacher that I studied it with it definitely turned out to be a cult, one that I actually got a tremendous amount of value out of. And the guy was also highly power abusive, probably narcissistic. And yeah, I ended up leaving that only to go straight into another cult, which is actually a very common thing. People often do two cults. I didn't realize that the first one was a cult until after I had left the second. Mm. Uh, the second one was much more traumatic for me. My husband and I joined it together before we got married. We got married while we were in the cult, actually. We actually wrote the cult leader into our vows. And um, after we left that cult... Well, hold on. Can you tell me more? What was it about it that that called you? Because obviously every cult has, like anything else, has light and dark. So there was some upside to it. Yeah, there was definitely upside to it. Yeah, like I I said, both, both were really based 
on real traditions and had real spiritual teachings, like totally baked into all of it. It was just that there was also this like traumatic narcissistic overlay. (laughs) So you had to kind of like piece it all to pick it all apart, which I'm still in the process of doing, honestly. But in both cases, there's a a light and a dark side to what attracted me. So I'll start with the dark because that's where my brain went. But the dark side of it was that, or the humble side, I guess, you know, it's dark, but it's just real, was that I didn't fully think that I was worth loving unless if I somehow perfected myself. And I saw enlightenment as a path to that perfection so that, you know, I could ultimately receive the love from God that I couldn't give myself. Yeah, I just wasn't able to at that time. The light of it was, there's so many things. Um, the woman, bo- both people had a tremendous amount of power both of the cult leaders. And I was certainly attracted to that. So that also kind of falls into the dark, actually. But there was also this kind of self-sovereignty and, you know, just sort of being at home in yourself. And I feel like, you know, anybody who meditates a lot or, or has some kind of spiritual practice, you have that feeling of kind of coming home to yourself. And these people really seem to have that. And I was, I wanted that. And the practices really supported that. And then, you know, there's a whole cultural context. Like I, I just got a deep dive into, into the inner worlds through the tools that have been, you know, preserved and loved and passed on for thousands of years from mostly India. And so there's, there's a cultural context that was extremely enriching and nourishing. And then there was also this, you know, learning my inner landscape and um, having ways to access inner dimensions. And I don't mean that in like a, you know, kind of going to other worlds kind of way, like literally just like, you know, being inside your own body and being able to manipulate in a way, uh, guide, manipulate is not quite the right word, but guide, direct your consciousness and your mind and to have a relationship with your mind where you're, you're in dialogue and you're, you're able to just understand yourself and, and your mind. So that was all, those were all great benefits that I got from it. And in the leaving and in the healing, I, those benefits were ex- exponentialized because I had to go through and pick apart all the beliefs that brought me there, like really investigate every single aspect of myself in a certain way and just be like, okay, like what, what brought me into this, into this context? And so much of it about what was about for me, outsourcing authority and morality and values and having this like, okay, cool. My values are my religion's values. My values are my teacher's values. And so I had to really draw all that back into myself for self-sovereignty and really find my own core of integrity. And what led guided you through that? That's like such a huge thing that I'm still finding in my own world and my spiritual practice. I wonder if there were any teachers or books or practices that helped you connect to your own inner values and find those answers inside of yourself? Yeah, there are a few things. And yeah, it's ongoing. Although doing really focused work on it for a couple of years also gave me this like, cool, like I I have this inner compass, like it is solid, I trust it. And I can keep going with that for a while. So it's it's not like it's it's 100% work all the time. But a book that was really transformative for me was the, The Guru Papers. It's by Joel, I always get their names mixed up, but Joel Kramer and Diana Alstead. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's a book that really had me sort of questioning some of the fundamentals of, of my relationship to spirituality. It is a very challenging book to read in many ways, especially if you're spiritually inclined, like you have to be willing to let the book like get into your beliefs. Like if you just read it as sort of like an academic thing, like it's not really going to change you. But if you read it as like, cool, I'm going to read that chapter and I'm going to think, or I'm going to you know, read that paragraph and I'm going to think about that and how that relates to my life and what I'm doing that, you know, is like that and is not like that. It really changed my mind, my, like my actual, not just like, you know, change of heart, but like it literally changed the way that my brain relates to the, to the world. Hmm. I'm definitely going to be checking that out. And I'm going to link that in the show notes if you guys want to check it out as well. Awesome. Yeah. I have like a shelf full of them because I just hand them out to people. <laughs> So that was a really powerful book. Therapy was a really big, important piece for me. Doing, uh, I worked with a Hokomi therapist for a while in some of that healing process. And there are... What is Hokomi therapy? I feel like I've heard about it, but I'm not sure what it is exactly. You know what? 
I don't even know that I know what it is exactly. Um, <laughs> I just know that she was practicing it and I was having these really powerful healing experiences. And then I was like, oh, I should look this up more. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe the mystery is actually like a good idea. Let's just, mm. so it's, you know, sometimes it is. So yeah, there are ways in which therapy, I, I grew and healed and evolved more in two years of doing therapy twice a week than I did in 10 years of meditating several hours a day. Really? I usually hear the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. And that might be my own my own personal needs and my own personal dynamics. And there are also certainly ways that all that meditation like made that possible in a certain way. Like that understanding of my mind, that ability to go inward and kind of like pick out pieces from my history and my belief system and all of that. Like I was primed on the, with th- from the meditation. So that might also be a, a big part of it. And it might also be that I had some really great therapists. Boulder has is like overflowing with good therapists. And I, I somehow found a couple of really, really incredible ones. So therapy and then really challenging my own beliefs, like as a practice. So basically any, almost any time that I felt like I was certain about something, I'd look at the opposite and just like kind of spend some real time being like, okay, how could this be true? How could somebody have so much faith in this, that this, this is the central tenet of their life, even though it's the opposite of mine in some way, you know, and that was like on political beliefs and, you know, environmental beliefs and, you know, a lot of different things. I I just, I went for it. I like just challenged myself. I left no stone unturned or I probably did. I just don't know which ones they are yet. And that was a really powerful process because in exploring the opposite, I was able to really find where my own self wanted to sit on the spectrum, you know, like where my own natural values kind of were in that kind of outward exercise. And some of that, a lot of that happened through social media, like going to like Trump supporter pages and like reading who they were and why they felt that. And, you know, just really trying to understand that mentality and then being like, oh, okay. So interesting. Finding your values through social media. Yeah. Yeah. I've not heard that before. You you know what I, I always say that social media is just the tool and it's all about how we use it. And I can totally see how what you were saying, how it's reducing our attention span and not giving us the space to think things through on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's all about how we choose to use it. And in this case, you chose to use it to dig deeper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is all about the tool. Like it, social media on its own, I feel um, it, it capitalizes on some of the weaknesses of the human mind. But if you use it consciously, you can totally go right past that and and use it to strengthen your mind. And this was one of the ways that, that I did that um, through mostly through Facebook at the time, because um, I wasn't really on Instagram yet. But so that was a process. And in the middle of that process, somewhere in there, I had a baby. And after I had the baby, I was, you know, he was four months old. I was exhausted. It was the time in most moms lives where they'll get addicted to coffee if they weren't already. And I was looking for, I was looking for something like that. But I knew from my experience with Ayurveda that coffee wasn't actually going to solve the problem. And so I started looking at all the coffee alternatives and was just like, you know, as you noted at the beginning of the show, like a lot of these suck (laughs) and we can do better. And I had an affinity for herbs. And I also had a friend who was an herbalist and, and she and I were cooking up something creative. You know, it was one of those moments where we didn't really know what was happening, but but that creative impulse was there between us in a new way. And so she did the formula and for for Rasa and she brought in all the adaptogens, seven different adaptogens. And it was then I was like, because I, I had been actually taking adaptogens since I first started in Ayurveda, you know, way before they were cool, probably like 12, 13 years ago, was just like, oh, like this makes total sense. So like coffee can actually amplify the stress cycle. It puts stress on the adrenals. You know, it doesn't actually help with some of our modern life issues for most people, most of the time. But if you replace some or all of your coffee with adaptogens, like, holy shit, is that an easy win in the human lifestyle, in the modern lifestyle? And so, yeah, that was, that was about three years ago. And, you know, we kind of market testing and supply chain sorting out. It's 12 herbs coming from five different countries. So it's an extremely complicated supply chain. And and then we really kind of launched last April um, once we got packaging dialed and, you know, had all the back end kind of ready to go. And 
Yeah, it's been a wild ride. And all of that work that I did in terms of finding my values and integrity and really coming home to myself and not an outsourced authority have really served me in business. And I think, you know, like it's hard to say what has contributed to so much growth. Then there's a lot of different things, but I do feel like this business moving out from my own conscious integrity, a big part of what's contributed to its success and to to it resonating with people. Because on some level, they can feel that. Whether it's just like, you know, I I feel like we leave an energetic signature in all the things that we do, whether it's a social media post, whether it's, you know, your packaging and what's on the packaging of your product, whether it's all, all, all things. And I feel like on some level, whether people know it or not, they can feel if it's true, if it's honest. And so this business is flowing out from what I know to be true and honest for myself. And we've we've grown tremendously. I mean, we had done some sales before before our launch, but we've 20x'd in the last, since April, so I guess in the last, what, 10, 11 months. Um, wow. And it's been really rapid growth in the last few months, particularly. Some, something you said, you leave an energetic signature in everything you do. I so resonate with that. I really think that it does go about all our work, whether that's a social media post or a product, people can really sense the subtle energy and the intentionality behind something. Mm -hmm. And you mentioning being connected to your values and the integrity and that really fueling the success of, of your business. I'm curious to bring it back to the time when you were finding those values and to see what you found. What are the things that you strongly believe are true. Hmm. Thanks. I appreciate that question. I don't necessarily like have them written down like a mission statement. So we'll see what comes out here. But in, in a big way, there it's like a felt sense. And you know, it kind of comes back to that energetic signature. And is my internal self like vibrating in in the sense of truth? Is it that like subtle feeling that you get when you're crossing yourself just a little bit? And so for me, like the foundation of it all, I can give it words and values, but the foundation of it all is is having having a real sense of home in that truth, which is a personal experience for everybody. Everybody's going to have their own qualities of what that means. And, and you know, it's to me, like I feel it a hundred percent of the time when I drink tea in a conscious way and, you know, close my eyes and drop in. Like that's part of why tea is, is such medicine for me. And other people have other access points, you know, so it's about finding that access point and that doorway into yourself and into your own definition of truth and then having a well-established home there. And so that's where like really steeping in your spiritual practice for a period of time can be really important so that you have that home that you can come back to easily and quickly for those seasons of life when you don't have that much time to, to be doing that and to revisiting that home. So doing things that align with that sense of truth, to me, like fundamentally, it starts with honesty authenticity and transparency. Those are all slightly different ways of looking at some the same thing. Um, they all feel important as distinctions as well. And that's been a really important process for me to really just come to accept myself as I am. So instead of seeking the enlightenment that would get me to a state of perfection that I think would finally make me truly lovable in myself, I, I made it a practice to love the shit too love the darkness mm-hmm. and understand and have compassion for my context and the pain that I carry. And in that process, I was also able to get a tremendous amount of, of love and empathy and support for other people as well. So I would say empathy and compassion are two of those values as well. So in that process of cultivating my own authenticity and love for my authenticity as it is, I was able to have real empathy and compassion for say, you know, people who have diametrically opposed political views and um, just have compassion for their context and for the pain that might make have them make certain decisions and value certain things that, you know, maybe I don't value as much over others. So let's see, authenticity, transparency, honesty, empathy, compassion, integrity. I, I'd say that's maybe the, the underlying with all of it, like that acting in alignment with that feeling is of like, I feel like I would break if I don't do that at this point. Like that's mm. fundamental. And especially as I'm building a business, there's so much more that I'm responsible for now. And I feel where that integrity like 
if there's anything even in question around that integrity, like I can feel when I start to make a decision that would be outside of that and it becomes the stakes are higher on those kinds of decisions because it's not just me anymore. It's me and our team and all the people who are impacted by Rasa, whether or not they know that we made that decision or not. And so that integrity feels even higher stakes having a business, but also incredibly important for me as a, as a person. And then the other two are humor and fun. Mm. I feel like, you know, you also have to hold it lightly to have a good time and laugh and like, you know, nothing needs to be, well, maybe not nothing, but I can laugh at most things, including myself, especially myself. That's, I think is the most important thing. And that ability to laugh at yourself also means, to, to me, feels like one of the greatest tools for personal growth. And I'm, I'm realizing that I'm actually like realizing that as I say it out loud. So thank you for this question because it's, it's helping me to weave new pathways for myself. But if I can, if I can hold something, one of my, you know, darknesses, one of my shadows lightly, then like, I'm more able to also hold it completely. And if I can hold it completely, then I can also be conscious about it. And I can grow it to the extent that I'm capable of accept it, love it, you know, give it what it needs, and just own that it's there, you know, because it, because we all have shadow, like we're never not going to have shadow. Mm. So yeah, the, those, I think those are the, those are the key compass. This is such a reflection of the new paradigm, because I feel like the old business paradigm is being cutthroat and not checking in with your inner compass and intuition and just doing whatever it takes to make money. And what you're creating is really such a representation of the new paradigm where Yes, you can be an aligned spiritual human. Yes, you can have an uber successful, fast growing business. And yes, you can use social media to fuel the goodness and to feel more connected to people and to spread the good word. And it's so fascinating to see. And what I'm curious about here is when you were starting Mm -hmm. Rasa, what was on your mind? Were you thinking you were creating something really big? Did you have that feeling or were you just following the divine step by step? Yes, and both. There was definitely something like moving through me that I was just listening to. And that something, and this may also be my own ego involvement, you know, because I, whatever, I'm an ambitious person and I like to do things and whatever. But there was also, I think it was a little bit of both. There was my ego getting excited about doing something big. And there was also just like that seed was implanted anyway. That divine was influencing me to say like yes let's let's change the world like let's have an impact here that goes beyond just you know a small community of people yeah like there's there's a little bit of like i saw opportunity and not just opportunity to you know make a big business and make money you know of course that's great and you know foundation of business in this world but i saw an opportunity to really have an impact in a way that was like it it wasn't like a saving the world through climate change kind of way you know like which was kind of another that was for me personally, not saying this is everybody, but for me, that was also a little bit of a quest for enlightenment kind of thing. Like, okay, if I can be the one who saves the world from climate change, then I will finally be loved. And this was like, on some level for, for me at the time was like a little bit less sexy, like coffee alternative. Okay. It's a consumer product. Like, you know, but it was also like, for me, there were so many other aspects to that. It like when the me that wanted to save the world from climate change was like, oh, this isn't that sexy, you know, or whatever. But then the me that was like watching this happen kind of through me was was just really seeing like, mm. wow, these these plants on some level are using me to get into the world. And if I can just be open to that and have integrity with myself and them, um, and by them, you know, like it's also like integrity with my relationship with nature, integrity with how I care for her and being an open channel for that, then like, amen, you know, like use me. (laughs) We covered that. But the the follow up on that is, what about the nitty gritty of business? Were you taking that from your previous years of what you were doing in San Francisco? Or is it more intuitive? What's the, in your experience, the balance between the strategic and the business minded, and the more of just the divine surrender? Mm. Yeah, it's, that's a great question. I think I've gotten to a point where I fundamentally don't see them as different. <laughs> like 
on the whole, but that also is not useful for answering your question because there also is a real question there as well. So I'll do both. I'll say that in a real, very real way, they don't seem different to me. The strategic business mindset and the divine surrender feel aligned and, and one and the same. I mean, there's a lot of getting shit done around here as well. And like really just being smart and and working within the system, the business environment that there is and, and being smart about that while also having conscious integrity. So how to balance those things? I mean, I feel like it does for me fundamentally come back to integrity. And, I, and it also comes back to what you were saying about this being the new paradigm. I think that like people like you and I and the people listening to your podcast right now, like we're all part of this new paradigm. And this paradigm is saying yes to people who who are making business decisions with that level of spiritual integrity, whether or not that's front and center in the business or not, like whether or not that's a key part of the marketing or not. But that that's like that energetic signature. I feel like people are resonating with that. So for me, like there's hundreds of decisions that get made every day in a business and having that sense of home inside myself and being able to check every decision against that. I'll give you like a small example. And this was also a case where like one of my staff really, who who knows me well, helped me to, to see something. So we use biodegradable tape for our packaging tape. It is way more expensive and it is much more hard to deal with. Our fulfillment person probably spends, we estimate about half an hour to maybe an hour a day, literally just like fiddling with the tape because it slips off and you have to like Mm -hmm. get that little, Mm -hmm. you know how like when tape gets stuck and you have to find the end and then you have to like get it off and it like strips in different ways. Yeah. That's like half, like I I pay $10 a day for that. (laughs) Um, At least. 10 to 20, I think, you know, there was our operations manager was like, Hey, should we just, you know, scrap the biodegradable tape? Like this is, this is a thing. And I was like, maybe we should, you know, like, I don't know how many people are actually like, you know, it's biodegrading in a landfill because you can't compost it. And so like, is that really that much better? And someone on my team was like, Hey, like, I feel like you can't do that. Like, you, I, that's that's one of those little decisions that you know, like Rasa's thing and your thing as the as the CEO of Rasa is that you always do the very best that you know is possible when it comes to the environment. And if you start now, like make even making that one little decision, it's a slippery slope. And so what that points me to, and especially as Rasa grows more, like we get to have you know a little, even the tiniest bit more influence on that is to complain to the pack, to the tape company and say like, hey, we this tape needs to be better. Hey, like we're buying, I don't know how many freaking rolls of tape, but it's it's a lot. Like we go through, I don't know, a couple rolls a week at least. And, you know, that's going to be growing as well. Like us as a business owner speaking for the industry, we want a better tape. And so like, that's just like one tiny little example of how my value around sustainability, for, for me, sustainability is sort of like one of these like, bigger overarching values and my integrity has to be in alignment with that for me to feel like I can be a proper channel for these plants. So it's about making the strategic decisions with conscious integrity and also making business, like business is an incredible personal development tool and environment. It's an amazing path to growth. And my husband who helps me a lot with Rasa, he has his own job, but he's still very engaged with Rasa he and I have both just been like wowed at how much of our own personal stuff comes up and how it comes up bigger. It's, it's like in an intimate relationship, you know, where like you'll, you'll get into true intimacy with your partner, you know, after that, mm-hmm. like maybe three or six month period and you start to access some of your darkness together and all of that kind of stuff. And, and you see things that you didn't even really notice before in yourself and in them. Business brings that out in a whole new way in my experience. And so if you can see how you make decisions, how you're seeing clearly, how you're navigating those hundreds of decisions that happen a day as part of your personal growth, as part of your spiritual development, even if it's about like what KPIs are we tracking and, you know, like how do we get better metrics and all, you know, all of that stuff is still, it's still the divine manifest now in numbers and details and dollars and all of that. So that that's somehow I relate to it. I don't know if that's business as a path to growth. Definitely, what you were looking for in an this answer resonates so much, and I think everyone listening is drawn to the podcast exactly because of that. Because there's this yearning to be growing as a human and as a spirit while you do business, 
And Lopa, thank you so much for sharing your story and showing to all of us listening that it's possible. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me and asking such interesting questions. I went in a lot of directions I didn't necessarily expect. Yeah. Yeah. So before we wrap up, I have two more questions. One is what role has social media played in your business and its growth? I would say it's been instrumental, like foundational level. We're, we're beyond the point where a business can really exist without having, uh, I, I think, a successful business without having a, a thriving social media presence and community. We, we get discovered all the time from people that just find us through social media. And, you know, like for me, it was, it was such a kind of fangirl moment when you found <laughs> us when we were so tiny and we're like, oh, like, oh my God, Breakfast Criminals likes us. Um, and, you know, and like, I think people don't realize that like one little connection like that, like someone said, you should try Rasa, you know, over a year ago, we're this tiny, tiny little like beta level company. And then, you know, you introduced me to Katie Hess from the Flower Lounge and we do a podcast in a partnership with her. And so many people find Rasa through you sharing it on your stories. And I've made other connections that I can't think of off the top of my head too, but where I'm just like, wow, like this was all from one little tag like a year and a half ago. And then here we are right now. And so I think we, there's an amazing way that we can, that social media can amplify our experience of interconnectivity and the divine through that. Like, you know, again, it's like the butterfly flaps its wings on Instagram. So yeah, Instagram specifically has been fundamental for us. Facebook a little bit less so. I I feel like there's a way in which that interconnectivity is a little bit more alive on Instagram. And it's also a great way for me to get a pulse on our business. So, you know, what people are saying about us, what they're sharing in their stories, what type of content is resonating. There's a way in which I can sort of look underneath all those numbers and those details. So this is another like strategic versus kind of spiritual perspective. Like there's KPIs and there's, you know, like ways you can analyze all of that from the business perspective, hundred percent. And we will be doing more of that, but it's also like sort of feeling that underlying pulse of like, okay, like, you know, here I am responsible for this entity this entity is coming from me. This entity is Rasa. It's out in the world and we are like sharing different aspects of ourselves and then just seeing what resonates and what what the rest of consciousness is vibrating with and saying, yes, that's more of that. And so that also absolutely impacts strategic decisions and um, you know how, how we show up in the world. Yeah, love some. And it wouldn't exist if you hadn't put the energy and the intention of actually having that presence. Because I remember when I found you, you weren't really that active on Instagram. And so it's been beautiful to watch you blossom because the community becomes alive and active in having that conversation when you create a home for those conversations to be heard. And so by you having that presence, by having your personal stance on integrity and things and being so outspoken about your commitment to your values, it really creates that trust for people to share what's important to them. So bravo to you to creating that home. Mm, thank you. Yeah. And and to anybody listening who's wanting to create something on social, I mean, Ksenia is probably the master for how to do that in a conscious way. So definitely just listen to her more than me. But it was a big lesson for me that you just have to keep showing up. Like, because for a long time, it was like, ah, like, you know, we just weren't quite growing and the, the traction wasn't there and I didn't quite know what it was. You know, it's like they say in marketing, you have to be exposed to something seven times before it even registers. And now they're saying with social that it might be 12 times um, or more. And there is just something to like, you just have to kind of keep showing up. Like I've noticed this, like if you have like a weekly event or something, say you like have a weekly potluck or something, it probably takes like several times before people are like, oh yeah, that's happening. Oh yeah. It's every Friday. Oh yeah. I'm going to actually go this week. You know? So it's like, it's the same thing. Like you're showing up with your stuff on Instagram every day. And sometimes it might be to a smaller audience than you wanted or that you think you deserve or whatever. Like just drop all that and just like keep showing up and keep vibrating with what's true for you. And the people who resonate with that will come. It might take longer than you expect, but they will come. Mm, so good. Vibrate with what's true for you. I am so enlightened by our conversation. I had no idea about all the things you were going to share. So 
I'm grateful to be the channel for these kinds of conversations that show people that yes, it's possible to be a spiritual human, to be a successful human. And before we wrap, is there anything else that you would like to share, Lopa, that I didn't ask you about? Thanks for the question, Ksenia. We do have a code for your listeners. If you use Woke and Wired, you will get 20% off any not already discounted product on our page. So like single bags and the starter packs and all of that. But so we would love for you to visit wearerasa.com and give Rasa a try. See if the energetic signature resonates with you. Mm, Love it. Try it out, guys. I highly recommend. I have all three blends and I don't have a favorite. Probably cacao. No, no, no. I like all of them. So just buy the bundle, try them all. Enjoy. And Lopa, thank you so much for the incredible conversation and for what you're doing. Mm, Thank you, Ksenia. I really appreciate it. It's been really nice to connect with you. And thank you for what you're doing in the world too. It really, you've continued to be a beacon of inspiration. You you know, even though I have my own, I do have Mm -hmm. my own internal compass, but there are certain people that become kind of checkpoints for you in certain ways. Like there's a way in which you're with me a lot more than you might realize as well. And just that, you know, more as social media maven in the way that you've held yourself in such integrity and, and consciousness in that world. I bounce my resonance off of you often. I'm like, yes, I feel that vibe. (laughs) I'm honored. Thank you so much for saying that. Yeah, thanks for being you. If you're moved by what was shared in this episode and not sure how to take action, start by writing it down. When we notice abundance and clarity in all shapes and forms and honor it, it grows. And if you're called to share the podcast with someone who you know is ready to receive it, follow that. Find all episodes, show notes, and current offerings on XeniaBrief.com. Subscribe to Xenia Brief Podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a review, and take one deep breath into the knowing that's already within you.